Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 128. This week, we talk with Sean Henry about Project Realm, open sourcing server hardware, what would you do with a 10 gigabit connection in your house, and find out how many trillions of transistors are created every second. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week, we have Sean Henry, Program Manager for Project Rome from the Windows Developer Platform team. Welcome. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, Carl. Uh, let's, uh, let's do some needless banter. So uh, how about that sports ball, Jason? <laughs> that sports ball. I love that. It was glorious. <laughs> so that's that's kind of alluding to a, a comment that, that or some feedback we get on the show. So we'll get to that. But uh, do you want to mention the, the meetup one last time? No, because it'll already have happened by the time that this uh, goes out, Jason. Oh. We're recording this okay. ahead of time. Okay. Well, I had, I had a great time. It was great meeting all of you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was great conversation. Okay. What is the, uh, who's the Infragistics ultimate winner of the week? So we pulled this off of iTunes. Like we mentioned last time, it's Cy Hung zero zero. Uh, he gave us five stars and said, I've been listening to this for a month or so, and I've gone back through the show's archive. Great podcast with truly professional and informative content on a variety of topics and not just Microsoft. The hosts are terrific, and the roster of speakers is quite impressive. It's an enjoyable listen without too much needless banter. <laughs> just the right amount of needless banter. I love that. So if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Absolutely. Okay. So let's jump into the news here. So we got a couple of things we're going to talk about. Uh, the first one here, I'm really jealous of this guy. Uh, this guy has the fastest home internet in the United States. Um, so this is 10 gig service. <laughs> what could to you use home. this for Carl? <laughs> yeah. To well, his home. So he's actually using it for a somewhat you know, real purpose, but says that there's a lot of cool things that come out as part of it. He does some sort of medical imaging mm-hmm. where he needs to, you know, either download or upload a lot of images. Um, but he also, one of the things that I, I didn't think of because I'm not like a super gamer, I'm very much a casual gamer, but he said that in uh, uh, some of these multiplayer games, they optimized who's the host by their internet speed. Mm-hmm. And he okay. always gets it because <laughs> he's the fastest in, in America. And he says it gives, it gives you certain advantages. Yeah. Uh, a little bit less lag, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's zero lag, right? Because yeah. you're... You're the, the reference point. Yeah. <laughs> Lag between you and yourself is zero milliseconds. That's yeah, the, awesome. Yeah. W- one of the other th- uh, uses that is mentioned on here that I, you know, kind of wondered how realistic it is on how much content there is, but he says that, uh, you know, they're streaming 4k to their TVs and I can't imagine there's a lot of 4k streaming content out there. No. Uh, but yeah, this is, I mean, that's still going to use like none of this, like 10 gigs is, I mean, that's, that's pretty good for a business. Uh, that's pretty good for a school. <laughs> um, so he pays two ninety nine, dollars which is interesting because I actually just upgraded my internet. I'm getting 50 by five now and I'm paying over a hundred dollars just for that. Ouch. All that upload speed sucks, man. Yeah. So he's got, but he's got 10 gigs both ways, right? I, I don't know what that's, the upload is, but yeah, I'm guessing it's a metric. Does he have a bandwidth uh, cap? 
<laughs> yeah, you got yeah, ten, ten it's big a bandwidth cap. One terabyte, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, you know, I have Frontier, and their service has been great. I have a hundred by hundred, and they, uh, um, so they don't have like an official cap, but I guess they crack down on the people that use more than ten terabytes, um, which I, I think. They, at one point they put out a number, it was like 50 of their customers. Um, and I don't know, it doesn't even sound like they're, it's like a hard and fast rule. They're just like, Hey, can you, can you please not use that much? And, and I don't think they enforce it really in any way. Um, they probably still, you know, it's once that, once the infrastructure is there, they probably, they probably are still making money off those customers is, is my guess, to be honest. Um, unless there's some, some portion of the chain that's weak, but, uh, but I don't know. Okay, so very cool. I'm really jealous. That guy is, yeah, that's not good. Um, if if I could if I could pay three hundred dollars for ten gig, uh, that would be tempting. Let's put it that way. Uh, okay, White House urges ban on non compete agreements for many workers. My understanding, Carl, and I I don't know if you have heard this, but these non compete agreements, um, um, are they the? I think they're the ones that that generally don't get held up anyway. Is that they're true? Gener- they're generally not, but from what I've heard from people that are in like the HR human capital roles is, you know, they're put in there anyways, because enough lawyers can just make it a hard enough time anyways, even if it doesn't get upheld, it's more to make your life miserable if they feel like it. Yeah. And it's frustrating because I know there's a lot of people that say like, Hey, if this company has a non-compete, like just move on, like just don't just move on. But most companies that at least that I've seen have some form of non-compete. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's most companies, but yeah, maybe, maybe like you said, most of the ones you've seen, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's kind of like a EULA on software, right? You cost them nothing yeah. to put it in and everyone ignores it. Or that stupid signature on emails. Oh, I hate that thing. <laughs> if you get this <laughs> and, and then, are not the recipient, please delete it. Oh, I know. Especially when they start like stacking up and you have like 20 of those disclaimers or, or when I get it on just like a, a, just a simple email, like, Hey, how's it going? And it's like, if you're not the intended recipient, it's like, really, really, I know they do it on all of them, but the point I always make, like Microsoft doesn't include those, you know, there's, there's all these big companies that don't do that. So like, what does that tell you? It's obviously not an absolute requirement. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I agree. I think non-compete agreements are anti-competitive <laughs> can we agree to that okay uh graphic transistor production has reached astronomical scales really carl astronomical yeah in fact it might you know it, it's kind of like how uh you know budgetary numbers are beyond astronomical as well uh in 2014 it says 250 billion billion transistors were made <laughs> so that's just, you know, when you have to start stacking those numbers, that's 250 times 10 to the 18th. Um, yep. Literally but, astronomical scale. So you know, the, I mean, it just shows that Moore's law is like continuously holding up in this transistor space. And some of the numbers I just found interesting is in 2014, more transistors were made in that 12 month period than in all years prior to 2011. Oh, wow. That's a cool stat. Oh. I love this too. Eight trillion transistors produced every second on average. (laughs) It's hard to even think of numbers that big. Yeah. We should have figured out ahead of time, like how many will be made during this show. I'm sure there's some page out there that has like a a ticking counter going on. Applying the Linus Torvalds good taste coding requirement. You want to explain this one, Carl? Yeah. um, What is good taste? And I, I saw this article and it showed a piece of code, right? It's actually timing out for me right now, so I can't pull it, it up. It is for, for me too. I just um, noticed that. Uh, but what had happened is there was, a, there was this code that somebody said, you know, Lennox Torvald said it isn't good code. If you looked at it, it was pretty easy to read. There was a while loop in there. 
and it was pretty straightforward, but it just didn't it didn't look right. And actually, one of the things that you know reasons why I brought this up is um, you know I interview people, you interview people, Jason. I'm sure you do as well, Sean. And uh, I was talking to somebody about technical interviews, and he gave me an example of what he gave, and it was essentially a very simple uh, you know rule set to to code against, but you mentioned to the person that you will be graded on elegance of code. And that kind of brings back to this good taste. Um, you know, is too many if statements bad taste? Is doing things in an un- unoptimized loop uh, inelegant? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's trying to think back to, is there a better way to do it? You know, sometimes you look at it and, and those those if statements make total sense, but maybe there's a way that you can mathematically transform it and you don't even need an if statement. Right. So. There's also goes back to readability and comments and stuff like that. But, you know, good taste is kind of a, a vague requirement. But yeah, once- my, my take on that, on the, on the examples that he had was um, I, I would probably write the first version first with the if statements, you know, like do whatever, whatever, whatever is the easiest code to write, write that first and then get your unit tester on that to, to, you know, verify that it does what you expect it to do. And then I would try to refactor it because that that's going to provide me the, the, the tests are what's going to provide me that, that safety net. Um, so that I have, I don't have to sit here and think about the edge cases. Cause in, in the example they showed, they had some if statements around the, the edge cases. Um, and, and if I can, if I can remove, uh, the need to process the edge cases separately. That's great. But at first I, w- I want to get those tests in place and, and it's going to take some initial code to do that. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I'd, I'd love to see, see myself write that first version, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then write some tests and then refactor to the other version. Yeah. And, and I, Go, Sean. I, I, I think I agree with that too. I mean, the, 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 one of the things, you know, Linus may be going after if he's writing, you know, highly optimized, you know, kernel code, maybe you do want to really look at optimizing, but most, most code these days, you know, we just talked about how fast, you know, how many transistors there are. It doesn't, doesn't actually need to be optimized that well. Yeah. More importantly is that, you know, someone's going to have to maintain it after you and look at it and figure out what you were doing. And really, you know, optimizing for readability in my mind, you know, most of the time is the most important. And then once you've got, you know, it locked down, find out where you need to optimize, where things are slow, and then go in, go in and fix it. Yeah, what what he was trying to do was avoid if statements to process edge cases, mm. because every time you add an if statement, that's another you you have to test that edge case to sort of hit that code. Um, and if you don't test that edge case, you're you know, you're just, you're never running that, that other code. Cause it could be running in production forever. And then all of a sudden you hit this, this else or this if statement and it executes a little bit differently. So what, what he was trying to do was eliminate those so that the same, uh, loop essentially didn't have any if statements. It was just processing it using the same code so that the same code was always running. But right. I guess I would argue that, you know, those edge cases are, they're always edge cases. I mean, it's always, if you're, if you're iterating a list or something like that, you're always, you're always going to have the edge case of like, I'm at the beginning of the list. I'm somewhere in the middle of the list and I'm at the end of the list. And you have to have the test for that either way. Um, so I, you know, I see his point, but I, I guess I would, I would get to that end game end goal, uh, in just a little bit different path. You know, Linus is smarter than all of us and you can just write it that way the first time. And of course it's perfect and great. And, and not all of us have that luxury, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I, I think part of the point too, is kind of like you said, there is a process to this. Let's get it working first and then make mm-hmm. it elegant because as long as you have that goal in mind, you'll get there. Yep. 
Okay, Microsoft Power Apps and Flow are generally available. Woohoo! So I've used Microsoft Power Apps uh, a few times where I work, and it's actually kind of nice if there's like uh, uh, just a very simple data set that you want to present uh, mm-hmm. through a, like a, a mobile UI. Uh, it's actually sometimes easier to actually just spin up Power Apps, use that as your data source, and then you can just kind of drag everything over. You make it look really nice and publish that to the people in your organization. So I've actually found Power Apps to be a really, really cool um, tool. Uh, the one thing that I, I think is a little frustrating for me is sometimes I'd like to share those outside of my organization too, because you do have to be on that same uh, domain. I gotcha. Yeah, it's really like an at this point is kind of an enterprise focused product. And then there's also Microsoft Flow, which is for, um, you know, doing workflow type of things where you get approvals and walk through a process. So, so yeah, there's, there's certain company, well, I shouldn't say certain companies. I think there's a lot of companies out there where they can quickly build applications just using this that are, that really are like CRUD apps that have some workflow behind them and combining power apps and flow. Uh, you can do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely something to look at if you, if you're writing some code and you're like, man, this just seems like repetitive and, and kind of silly that I have to keep creating these applications for these specific, uh, uh, use cases, uh, definitely take a look at these two products. Um, and then the last one here, Microsoft open sources, it's next gen cloud hardware design. This is really cool. Yeah, I, I know Microsoft has gotten a lot of praise over the last uh, year or so for open sourcing a lot of its software. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just really cool to see hardware as being part of this too, especially something that powers the cloud. Yeah. So so what's unique about this now is the 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 server designs were always I shouldn't say always they for the for a long time they've been open sourced and in this case what's different is that they are open sourced before going into production. So the idea is that companies can take a look at the ref, or companies and individuals can take a look at the design and say, wait a second, you guys didn't think this through, or you should make this modification to, to improve this design. So, you know, you can actually um, get some, some community feedback uh, into these and then uh, improve them before it essentially goes to like, you know, version 1.0, which is, which is pretty exciting. I think I, it's neat to take hardware and open source hardware, and then also have kind of like a, a version 0.9 that you release out to the world before you go into production. So this openness just, uh, um, I think, helps everybody. Yeah, I don't follow this too closely, but my understanding is it's really kind of transforming the the server industry with what Facebook's mm-hmm. doing, what Microsoft's doing, yeah. of having these open source specs available. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, the, the thing is, like these companies too, like you get like Dell, HP, Lenovo, like whoever's making these servers, right? They, they, um, I mean, they have to come up with the, the designs and, and then, you know, it's just kind of like com- consumer PCs where you get kind of this mess of like, I don't even know where to start and, and picking out this stuff. And then designs change halfway through. And, you know, you need stability in, in the server world. You, there's all these crazy, crazy requirements that, that are required. This adds that stability and then having that stability and, and scale across all the, the vent or all, all of the companies is awesome too. Because like you said, you know, Facebook using the, the same system means that, you know, Dell can just, you know, they can make X number more of these servers and there's just going to be more of a supply and you're going to have less of a lead time and it's just better for everybody. So super exciting stuff. So you can order some of these, Carl? No, no. <laughs> for, for your hundred gigabit connection at home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish. So <laughs> yeah, you, 
Yeah, that guy, that guy could run the the ten gig guy could run uh, um, like Azure Stack in his house and uh, and and makes and subsidize his internet connection based on that. So today we're here to talk to you, Sean, about something called Project Rome, and uh, there's a, actually a really nice pun in there. So uh, can you explain to us what this is? There's a pun in there. I didn't know that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it, I didn't know. I didn't realize it until I saw the notes like right before the show. I'm like, oh, now our listeners are probably confused because when we say Project Rome, they're probably thinking R-O-A-M. Right. Right. But it's Rome, R-O-M-E, like the city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been kind of we kicked around when, when we were I tell you before the show, you know, I came on this team about a year ago now and, and uh, you know, been kicking around code names for uh, for a while. And, you know, eventually we kind of settled on, on Project Rome, um, A, because it kind of sounds like what we're doing uh, mm-hmm. with roaming. Um, but then also there's there's puns around, you know, all roads lead to Rome and, and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I should probably explain what, you know, what Project Rome is. Um, yeah. You know, what, what, what kind of motivated us is, you know, we were looking at, um, you know, we were seeing more and more users using multiple devices every day. Um, you know, obviously, you know, enthusiasts like us are using like half dozen devices a day um, mm-hmm. and kind of starting things on one device and finishing them on others. And we saw like a real opportunity here for especially app developers to like keep keep users engaged across these devices and have experiences that, you know, span devices um, and, and so, uh, what we did is we kind of looked around at a bunch of technologies that were available, uh, to windows developers and sort of put them together in a toolkit, uh, uh, that we called project Rome, uh, that allows developers to build, build apps, uh, that have experiences that like cross app and cross devices and even cross platforms. Um, there was, you know, when I was, when I joined this team, we met with, uh, with Bill Buxton, um, who's a researcher here at Microsoft. I don't know if you guys know him. He's, mm-hmm. there, remember there was a conference called, uh, called Mix a few years ago that Microsoft yep. hosted. Yeah. So he ran that conference. He's kind of like a designer guy. Um, and he came and, and we had a, a meeting with him and he, he has this quote that he uses where he says, um, you know, experiences, uh, you know, in the, in the future, you know, devices and, and, and user experiences will be judged on how they integrate with other experience and other devices and how they make, you know, people's life simpler. You know, today when you mm-hmm. buy like a new piece of hardware, a new device, it's kind of your life gets more complicated. It should be getting simpler. Yep. Um, yeah. And so that's really what's kind of driving us to. And we're looking at it from like a developer first and uh, an app first perspective to really help developers, you know, build those kind of experiences. So awesome. Well, thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you, by the way. you had mentioned that this is built on several other technologies from my understanding this pulls on like xbox technology and some of the other technologies in like app to app communications yeah that's right we kind of we kind of um pulled from a couple places so the core technology is actually based on something called smart glass um which was a technology i think it originally shipped on the xbox 360 and then the xbox one as well um which allowed game developers to uh, build games and then have like an experience on your phone or your laptop um, as well. There was like a companion experience to that. So I know one like my, my daughter used a lot was there's like dancing game where you kind of dance around and you can use it with the connect. But if you don't have a connect attached, you can have your phone, you can kind of hold your phone in your hand and you dance around and it uses the accelerometer as like a controller um, for dancing, for dancing on the screen. Um, or there were a few like for a while HBO was doing a Game of Thrones companion app where you could like see see on your phone the map of where things were happening on in, in Game of Thrones. Um, oh, so that's that was, cool. Yeah, that was Smart Glass. Um, and so what we did uh, for 
the Windows 10 anniversary update is we took the smart glass technology and we kind of mashed it together with the UWP, uh, the Universal Windows Platform APIs for uh, for app to app communication and for app services, so that we kind of were able to bring that smart glass technology to like all Windows SKUs. So everything that you could do from like a phone to an Xbox with smart glass, you can now do, um, you know, from a laptop to an Xbox, or from an Xbox to a phone or to a Hololens. Um, so we can really sort of uh, get to all of uh, all of your Windows devices, uh, you know, in the same way smart glass was able to talk to the Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of seems like the the holy grail that we've all been been waiting for, right? Um, is it, like you said, having having my devices work together better. So, what kind of dev- what kind of uh, scenarios are you optimizing this for? What do you what do you kind of have in your head as you design this? Well, I mean, the, the, kind of the sky's the limit, but certainly with um, you know, there's kind of uh, there's a couple things that we released in in the Windows 10 anniversary update to help for mm-hmm. a couple specific scenarios. So, one kind of that's a little bit separate from some of the stuff we other do, but it's important for putting together really uh, uh, clean scenarios for users is, is app URI handlers. Um, and what these are is they allow you, you know, if you have a website uh, uh, and an app, so if you've like a product that's got like, like Facebook, Facebook has apps and Facebook has their website as well. Um, and what you can do is if you, if you have that, you can supply uh, an app URI handler inside your app, uh, inside the manifest. And if users click on a link, say in mail, for like facebook.com or whatever app, you know, .com, we can take you to the app uh, instead of the website. And what this does, it kind of keeps users, if they're in an app to begin with, you know, it keeps them in the app space. Um, mm-hmm. And so they can kind of navigate between apps that way and have experiences um, continue, you know, where they're most comfortable. Okay. So that's kind of that like already... State, then? Oh, go ahead, Carl. I was gonna, so, so that's already like if I have like a mail to link it, it'll open up my mail app, whatever it may be. But this is this will be like uh, if I... If Twitter had one, it could go open up the Twitter app specifically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a really simple thing, you know, for developers to do. If you have an app that, you know, has a, both a website and an app, all you do is you, you just go into your manifest and you add this this little tag in XML. So you have an app URI handler, and then you go to your website and there's like a little blob of JSON you put at your root of your website that's got like your app ID on it and a couple parameters if you want to filter out certain pages on your website. And then we kind of take care of the rest on Windows. We go and, and uh, you know, if we see that handler when your app is installed, we go and look on your website and we do that mapping for you. So anytime, you know, an app uses the, the system's URI launchers like like Shell Execute or Launch URI or whatever, we'll go and do that little redirect and we cache it so the performance is great and and we'll take take the your user directly to your app um, to have you know that great experience. This is of course great on mobile because you know very often mobile websites are kind of kind of not great um, and the app experience is often yeah. And then what about transferring state between those apps? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the other piece that we released, which is the remote system APIs. Uh, which uh, kind of allow you as as a developer to um, you know discover discover all the devices that are available nearby uh, associated with that user. Um, so you can kind of uh, you can call these APIs and you'll get a list of all the users' devices that are associated with their Microsoft account. And then from there you can use uh, kind of the existing APIs, this Launch URI API I talked about, um, as well as our App Services API. So if you want to kind of transfer your state from one app to another. You know, either on the same device or, you know, across devices, which is really powerful. For instance, if you want to transfer your state, you know, from your from your app on your phone to your desktop, um, you can, you know, you can discover that device and then, uh, you know, launch a URI on uh, the remote device. And that, and that URI then launches your app and kind of the users resume their state at that point. 
Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI tools and enterprise mobility solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI toolset. And I use a third-party Twitter client that when I used it, I set it up on my phone. I put in multiple different Twitter accounts on there, and I paid for some premium services on there. And then when I opened up the desktop version, it just auto-logged me onto all those other services. I didn't have to tell it that, hey, there's this other, you know, I paid for this or, or whatever. Um, all my preferences, the theme colors for each different one, they just came through. So when this, when app developers use this, it really is awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of sort of, we, we think of it as two different, uh, you know, two different techniques that developers can do. They can kind of pull their experience across or they can push their experience across. And I think kind of what you were seeing there was like pulling the experience across. When you when you launch the app, um, you know, it goes and looks at, in some web service and it sees, oh, you've got all these, these accounts and maybe it's roaming your data and it says, oh, you've got all this information and it pulls that across and then it resumes your state that way. Um, and then the other the other possibility is you can actually push your state across. So you know you're in you're in the app on one device, and then uh, you know you press a button on the, in the UX and the UI somewhere, and then the app launches on the device you want it to launch on. And you continue your experience that way. So how does that work? Like if if I have a device, you know, if if I have a tablet in my hands, and there's like another uh, a, like a laptop on the same network or maybe a, a phone that I'm connected to Bluetooth, or maybe even yet like a, another computer over the cloud. How, you know, does all of that protocol talk happen for me kind of for free once I use these APIs? How does... Yeah, it's all, it's all magic. It's great. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's that literally what it is. I mean, that's one of the one of the things that we really kind of promise to, to developers is that we abstract a lot of that stuff for them. So, you know, we build on top of, uh, of existing APIs uh, on the, in the Windows platform. Uh, so all you have to do is is you you all you have to do is know how to launch a URI or or use an app service. And app services are something that have been around on, on the Windows platform, Universal Windows platform, for a little while, um, and they've gotten a lot a lot easier to use in the anniversary update, actually. Um, but what they allow you to do is kind of open a channel to to other apps um, and uh, and sort of pass a value set between the two. And a value set is just like a dictionary, like key value pairs um, between uh, between two apps. And then what we did with the Project Roam APIs, with the Remote Systems APIs, is we enabled you everything that you could do with app services between two apps on the same device. We made it work across any device, uh, you know, in the user's device graph. So if I have like an app on my desktop that has an app service, I could actually uh, can from my phone connect to that app service on my computer and have whatever needs to be communicated just happen behind the scenes flawlessly. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things, you know, that app has to do is they have to, there's a little tag in their manifest. They have to say this app service is available across devices because we didn't want to, you know, open open your, open app services that weren't designed <laughs> to be talked to remotely, right? I mean, that, that sounds like a bad idea. Um, so, you know, the developer has to say they're open remotely, but otherwise it works exactly the same. That's pretty cool. That so, allows for some pretty complex and, and unique uh, scenarios to happen. Yeah, there's yeah, actually, could, could I even do like video over that? I'm I'm, I'm trying to think of like what kind of things I could send over that. Yeah, you could. Um, you know, we don't we don't have app services today. Doesn't have like a high bandwidth stream. It's kind of these yeah. key value pairs that you pass. Um, but okay. what what you know most people would do in this case, there's actually there's a cool app in the store uh, that I just saw the other day. That's like um, a Twitch app called Unstream, and what they do is they kind of pass the reference across. So. Um, uh, so like I'm sitting, I, I, I use this one every day and I use actually, there's a, there's a red, uh, Reddit browser called read it that I use every day in the, in the evening. I'm sitting on my couch and, uh, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching Netflix or whatever on my Xbox. And I've also got, you know, my laptop or my phone in my hand looking through, through Reddit or looking through these things. And they have a little button you click and it starts the app uh, on my Xbox and kind of resumes where it was. And what they're doing in this case is, you know, they're sending, they're doing a launch URI on the Xbox. So they're like, they're, they're launching their app that gets their app launched and they open this command channel and they're passing commands back and forth as, um, uh, as, as kind of these dictionary commands. Uh, you, know, you can do it like with a JSON blob or something. You can pass commands back and forth. And part of that command is like the URI for the video. So they actually kind of get the video. Um, you know, it doesn't, the, the actual media doesn't transfer from my phone okay. I got to you. my yeah, Xbox, yeah. which in a lot of ways is better. I it's mean, really it's, like it, signaling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I call it like pass by reference versus pass by value. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's actually really nice because, um, you know, my phone, I don't want to be kind of, churning the battery and draining the battery on that so yeah. you know it doesn't have to actually well, stream the video it's kind of like how youtube works right because there's like the little broadcast button like that's i right. stream that yeah, to my roku so, or my yeah. xbox and i can hit pause and all that but I, I know that the streaming actually isn't happening uh between the devices what's happening is i hit that button and the roku actually like has to quit whatever app it's in it actually launches youtube opens the video sends it to the right spot and then gives me control and then i can just you know essentially i think it's calling into those apis and to do pause and you know all those types of things so yeah and, that, and that's that's exactly what we enable there's a there's a cool sample that just uh, just came out from um from nicola who's on a, on a team uh here in windows that's for this for xbox and it's kind of this um it, it's got a bunch of non-rome technology that's not interesting in it but it's got um it, it what it does do it's kind of this uh <laughs> it's kind of this photo sharing app and so what you do from uh you know you can be on your laptop and uh same sort of thing is um you bring up these photos uh, on the app instance on your laptop, and then you can start the app. It'll discover, it'll actually discover which which uh, devices actually have that app installed um, on your uh, remote devices by kind of pinging them and seeing if the app's installed. And then you can kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, launch the experience on those other devices. And then you have this kind of slideshow experience where you're controlling it's like broad, it. From your it's laptop. like broadcasting. Yeah. Um, and so that's like a great sample because it shows a bunch of techniques for doing things like figuring out if the app is actually installed and if it's available to do these kind yeah. of things. And one of the cool tricks um, that the, that um, uh, that Nicola does that actually I taught him is that, you know, you, we can do this ink sharing. So you can actually, you know, if you have your surface and you have a, a pen, you can like write on the on the photos and mm-hmm. uh 
and that writing will actually show up on the target device, which might be an Xbox or something that doesn't have pen input. So you can kind of annotate the photos and the ink flows over to the remote device as well. So yeah. you can kind of use use features that are only available on you know one of the devices in your graph to sort of make the experience work across devices. That's cool. And if I really wanted to like transfer it, let's say I wanted to, I'm just making up a crazy scenario, but let's say I wanted to use the camera on my local device and actually stream it. And you said it really it's not designed to do like that high bandwidth streaming, but I could, I could open up that channel. Right. And then I could stream that up to the cloud and the other device could, could connect to that stream and then and yeah. play it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like what Skype does, right. They provide a, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, there's actually, there's a, there's a developer um, on, on our team that uh, wrote a little prototype that does just that. And I, I, I kind of want to okay. make a sample out of it, but it's, you know, it'd be cool if there could be like a plug and play, Azure service that you could go and get and just say, Hey, here's this service and, you know, put in your credit card number. And then, um, you know, we could, uh, um, you could have that just work and all that. And you could have as much bandwidth as you want, you know, in Azure. Yeah. Cause I, I was just thinking through, there used to be this Nokia had this uh, photo beamer app where you yeah, scan the cool. QR code. <laughs> yeah. So the QR code thing was, was really like pairing two devices, mm-hmm. but now what you're bringing to the table is sort of this auto pairing. Yeah, exactly. You, you're basically able to skip that step, which is really yeah, exciting. I, I really feel that like there's a bunch of these scenarios that were kind of awkward before, and that we've really yeah. made them, you know, super simple. And I can, you know, I can't wait to see what people people do with this. Yes, because that photo sharing now, you know, if, as long as you have my app, like if I say install this on all my devices, um, I can literally just throw those photos up on wherever I want. Then I'm guessing. That's right. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So does this require an internet connection or do I need connection to the cloud? Like, can I be offline or do I need a 10 gig connection? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the nice things. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the big things we did, you know, as well as making it work across all Windows devices is we made everything work um, both, both proximally uh, and over different transports and then also through the cloud. So, okay. you know, in the, in the Windows uh, 10 anniversary update, we, we support um, communicating over, you know, the local network. So either, you know, your, your current subnet or your current Wi-Fi access cool. uh, point. Uh, also through Bluetooth as well. Um, mm. So if you have a Bluetooth connection, which is kind of nice, you know, if you got it, sometimes your phone is not on the same Wi-Fi network. Like sometimes it's not on Wi-Fi at all, but it's nearby to, to your laptop or your computer. So having Bluetooth is kind of nice. Um, but then we also will do everything over the cloud as well. So we'll actually relay those app service commands and those those um, those launch commands through a cloud service um, as well. But again, not really for high bandwidth, but, um, you know, for smaller commands. Um, certainly. Yeah, that kind of sounds like uh, like Project Holly, but um, this is specific to, to all the, the Windows stuff. That's very cool. So, I don't know if you have you seen that Project Holly? I haven't, no. Oh, it was a different episode we had. It's an open source thing. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to take a look. That's just cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, how does these APIs know uh, who I am and like which devices I have and which ones to use? Yeah, so it's everything that's connected via the your Microsoft account. Um, so if you associate your Microsoft account with um, with your device, either by logging in with it or by you know logging into an app with it, like if you log into the store with your Microsoft account, for instance, then we'll use that account to sort of build that graph up. So it's very user centric and not um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's user centric and not device centric, which That's is right. which is always better. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of you know I, I don't have a very specific scenario in mind, but I'm just know that there's a lot of times that I would maybe want to like do something with my family. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just spitballing here on like a feature request, but you know, have you thought of about those kinds of scenarios where like, I, I want to share this not with my other devices, but with maybe like, I want to share something to Jason's devices. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, stay tuned. I don't want to. I don't want to commit folks here to, to to when, but that's definitely definitely high in our list. You know, both both being able to you know communicate um, sort of either within groups like families or groups, and yeah. even anonymously in some cases. You know, if you don't necessarily have um, you know a relationship with someone uh, from you know from a graph perspective, just being able to um, to share things that way, um, kind of anonymously. Um, like being able to walk up to like a surface hub or something and being mm-hmm. able to. Yeah. Cause, cause, there. cause those things have meaning. Like you said, like family has meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then proximity things that are near me have more meaning to me. Um, it reminds me of like on the iPhone, there's this, uh, what the heck do they call that? You can, uh, when other iPhones are nearby, you can like transfer files and photos and things like that. And it sort of works like that. Um, I think it's like using Bluetooth and, and it's able to send data, even though I, you know, even though I don't necessarily know the other person, like it, I can set it up so that, you know, I will see them because they're nearby and yeah. maybe I am talking to them. Just the fact that I'm near them means that I might have a relationship with them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, there's yeah. some interesting things that we look at, like how do, what is, what does nearby mean? And like what Apple does is it's all based on Bluetooth, yeah. but like, you know, Bluetooth goes through walls. So, you know, you could be in a conference room and, and, <laughs> and there could be someone in a nearby conference room. And so, yeah, so, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much trust in it. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Right. Don't, don't just automatically like volunteer, like personal information. Right. <laughs> that would be, that would be a, a horrible idea for sure. Yeah, so I was like digging through some of these APIs that you have for this, and uh, a little bit of background. My all-time favorite .NET class is the File System Watcher. I just love how that works and how you get events driven up upon what happens in the file system. And I noticed that the Remote System Watcher actually had a really similar feel to that. So I can, when I'm looking for a device to connect to, I can pass it a filter. So, like you said, if if this is something I only want to like connect proximally or something over the, like the local network and Bluetooth. I can pass in that filter and it, it won't show me any of the cloud devices. And then at the end, when new devices pop up, I get events popped up. Hey, there's a oh, new device cool. that I can add on. So I was just saying, I really like, at least personally, that it has that same feel to other APIs that I'm already used to. Yeah, the watcher pattern's great. I mean, it's it's super easy to get into. I mean, you can you can see in our sample and stuff. You know, it's just a couple lines of code to start getting these events when devices are added to the network or removed, um, and adding these filters. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with the way that turned out. Cool. So, so you get well. I I'm, I'm I don't know what to what to quite ask here because I I don't want to like put you on the spot and like talking about things that that you're not building it because I have no idea. But like you know, thinking through how the how the iPhone does work for transferring files. I mean, are you thinking about building some of those base experiences in then? I mean, like if I am nearby somebody, like that that's always the the issue, right? Is like getting them a PowerPoint file or something like that. Like, are you thinking through how you send files and things like that? Yeah, I mean a little bit. I mean we're we're I this is we're a platform team on Project Rome, and yeah. so we work you know very closely with um, you know other teams within Windows to build these things. So you've been working ah, closely okay. with with the Windows Shell team. You know they're building yeah. stuff on top of us. Cortana has shipped a number of features on top of us already. Um, you That's know one of the, one of the big features for um, for the anniversary update is is notification mirroring and Cloud Action Center. Um, where, you know, you can get a notification on, on your, uh, Windows phone device or your Android device and it'll show up, uh, on your desktop and you can dismiss it there and it dismisses on your Android device uh, or your Windows device on your phone. And that's all built on top of our infrastructure. Um, 
So, you know, that's how we kind of see delivering that value is to, you know, work with the teams that are experts on building great experiences um, yeah. and have them build on top of us. And then, and then we take, you know, the exact same stuff that they're using and we, may, we, we turn it, we productize the platform for developers so they can build, you know, even cooler stuff, um, you know, for their own apps on top of it. That is so cool. So I didn't even think of, I, I always think of like the windows team, but, but I didn't even think of that as like, you know, there's, you obviously have layers built on layers that uh, of technology and it's always <laughs> a big and, team. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, of course. But, um, yeah, it, it's always cool when, when you hear like, okay, the windows team can use this particular platform to build these great experiences. But then me as a developer, like I'm tapping into the exact same thing. Like, like, thank yeah. you. That's, that's, that's awesome. When, when developers have that same power and then can build things that you guys didn't even think of. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's kind of what I operate under is, you know, we shouldn't build things just for, uh, you know, Microsoft customers every, any, yeah. anywhere, right. We should build them for everyone and make them available. And that's why it's kind of nice to have this separation, you know, between a platform team and kind of a, an apps and experiences team. Um, cause then we can build a platform for them that everyone can use and they can build on top of that platform. Very cool. So you had mentioned that the notifications team built on top of your effort to deliver, you know, their solution for windows and for Android, um, is the APIs you're working on going to go to the other platforms as Android and iOS as well then? I wonder, I was wondering when that question would come. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, at, at build last year, when we, when we announced this, I did, I did say we were working on, uh, on making this available across platform and we are, we still are, um, you know, it's coming soon, you know, kind of the, the pattern we work on is, um, you know, obviously we had to get, you know, windows out the door, um, you know, first, cause that was kind of a, a date driven exercise and then getting the cross platform pieces, working with our partners, the close partners to make sure everything's working properly. Um, and then productizing it. So like, like I said, with Cortana, Cortana's using our platform on Android today. If you use, if you use Cortana on Android, um, and then we're just, we, you know, we're getting real close now to be able to release, uh, you know, a third-party SDK folks on the video can see I have an Android phone here with our with our uh, our app running, our test app. Um, we're not quite ready to release it yet, but um, we're getting there. It should be real soon now. Oh, this is so cool, man! I because I didn't honestly, I like I didn't really know anything about this before a couple of days ago, and 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 I've always I, I'm I, like everybody listening, I'm sure has had this vision for like my stuff actually working together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, we we've had so many examples of where like this thing works with this other thing really well. You know, I, I if I buy. You know, if I do use smart glass with my Xbox, like that, that experience is, is it works really well. Like it, it's, it, it just, it works the way that things should, but it's so isolated. And I love that this is just sort of being opened up and then we can actually have this future where, where our devices actually know what the heck is going on and they can actually tell some things about us to make our lives better. So it's, it's like Jarvis um, from Iron Man. You know, yeah. It's, it's so it's like, we finally, <laughs> we find, this was like. I, I could never quite picture like how all that stuff would work, but now, I mean, it's, it's like this, it, you guys are building the plumbing and now we can do all the cool stuff on top of it. So that that's super exciting, especially if I can have that, you know, like we said, um, ultimately with, with, you know, the, it can understand the relationships and it can understand other types of devices and that's just super powerful. Yeah. So I mean, when, when you start layering smarts, like the, the apps kind of come and provide the smarts and things like Cortana yeah. come and provide the smarts on top of the platform and things get really, really powerful in a hurry. Um, you know, once you have that smarts on top of something, uh, something like this. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else that, uh, that we didn't, that we didn't mention that you wanted to make sure that everybody knew about or. 
You know, those are the main things. You know, I mentioned one thing earlier, kind of uh, somewhat related around app services. Um, you know, for those of you, this is kind of one of those features that, you know, a lot of people don't know about in the Windows platform. Um, and this, and uh, you know, I think Carl was kind of talking about a little bit of, you know, apps can expose these services um, yeah. that other apps can consume. Um, and one of the things that we've done in the anniversary update is um, we've kind of made them a lot simpler from an application model and an execution model perspective. Uh, you know, one of the things we we used to really do, we kind of had this uh, tenuous relationship with the, these things called background tasks in, in, the, in the Windows application model, um, which were, uh, you know, you can kind of take your app and you build this little background task that's like highly optimized to not use very much memory and to not really affect the experience on the device. And that's what you had to do to expose these app services. Um, and it was a little bit of a pain for... Uh, for app developers to, to do that in some cases, it kind of made the learning curve a little bit steep because you had to learn how to make these background tasks work. And in the anniversary update, we really made it really simple so you don't have to create these background tasks anymore. You can just have things um, uh, activate in the same you know process, the same uh, foreground process that they were before. So it's now only just a couple lines of code to create an app server. So it used to be about like 100 lines of code to go and do um, and get right. is now just a couple lines of code. Um, so definitely like a big improvement there. And of course, that accrues to things like... Um, uh, like Project Roam and the remote app services APIs, because it just makes it that much easier to talk to, to other instances of your app or other apps across devices. So it's using the new single process execution model for that? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, I recently had a chance to use that with uh, some media APIs, and uh, I literally threw away like 500 lines of code and replaced it with like four. It was awesome. So if anybody's out there who had struggled it, with it in the past, it's definitely way easier now. So yeah. mine is Torvalds approved. That's right. Yeah. You know, there, there are still <laughs> cases where, where background tasks make sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you really want to optimize for memory and performance, you should go and do that. But um, if you, if that's not really a requirement, if you're focusing mainly on, you know, higher performance devices, desktops and, and Xbox and HoloLens, even, um, you know, it's not really, it's not really as necessary anymore. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Uh, Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? So uh, this was actually sent to me by a listener, Jess, uh, Jason Nguyen, and uh, this was kind of in response to our talk about uh, learning the shortcuts uh, with uh, Jeremy Foster, and one that I probably use uh, dozens of times every day in Visual Studio to comment and uncomment code um, is Control-K and then Control-C to comment, and Control-K and Control-U to uncomment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've really been taking, I've been really been trying to take uh, Jeremy's advice to heart. I've been trying to look up shortcuts whenever I can. And uh, we actually, whenever we talked about the, the Apple announcement with that whole touch bar, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we should have, we should have had Jeremy on to, to comment on that because that thing, it's just like the opposite of, of what he was preaching. You know, it was like, don't move your fingers. And then I think, you know, a big theme was to like, it's tactile, right? Like you shouldn't have to look at anything. It's just natural and part of it. And that whole touch bar is like trying to do the opposite. Like, please pick up your hands and, and totally throw off what you were in the middle of doing. Um, so just kind of an interesting light there. Okay. So let's see here. Sean, we have a game that we play. I got the card out here. So I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive. What, one and four. We're not zero based here. I can't pick zero. No, no that's why I, you know, it's funny because we have all these technical jerks that write in. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> a lot. <laughs> there goes, there goes, no, no, I wasn't, I'm not talking about the guests. No, we had, we had people, 
uh, you know, we have a lot of developers, right? So they're, they're very pedantic about, um, you know, how we do things. So we had, we always had a lot of feedback on the, on the, how I would, I, cause I originally, I would say between one and four, um, and, and people, people would take that literally like, Oh, I can only pick two and three. So I started saying <laughs> between one and four inclusive at one point I said between zero and five, <laughs> just to fix it a different way. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's why, that's why we do it that way. So yes, you can pick one, two, three, or four <laughs> just to be hundred percent clear. Two. Okay. <laughs> would you rather spend six hours lying in a gutter on the side of the street, letting the water splash over you <laughs> or that's the, that's the longest question we've had or have to spend the day sitting at the bottom of a public trash can on a city street, having people drop garbage on you all day long. Wow. Wow. These are miserable choices. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just taking a nap in the gutter may not be too bad if it's a nice day. I don't know. Yeah. I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> that could be, hopefully it's not in Seattle in October. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Should have just said that. Would you rather be in Seattle? Yeah. I would have been in Jersey. This morning, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jersey listeners. Uh, okay, Carl, pick a number. I'll take four. Okay. Four. Would you rather lick the head of a, I think you've gotten this one before. I'm pretty sure you have, but we'll do it again. Just because I'm, I'm still working on my marker here, getting these off of here. Would you rather lick the head of a bald football player after a sweaty game or lick the whole top of a car hood that hasn't been washed in a month? Uh, I have gotten this one and neither of them are pleasant, but hopefully, I don't know. One of them is actually pleasant. I can explain why. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll go with the hood of the car. Yeah. So first of all, like my car is clean and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I have wax on there that, that smells really good. I bet you it tastes good and it rains a lot here and it still beads up. Right. So I'm pretty sure like my car is extremely clean because of thanks to the Seattle rain. So it would actually, it would actually taste good to lick my car at this current point. Yeah, as long as it's Jason's car. Yeah. I don't want to lick a car in the summer in the Midwest, you know, covered in, in bugs or something like that. But you know, around here, it's not too bad. So I have a story for that. So when we, we drove, we drove, this is a weird tangent. We drove, uh, from Wisconsin to Washington and actually we did it on hard mode. So we went to Pennsylvania first. So we, we drove from Wisconsin to Pennsylvania. Then we went Pennsylvania to Washington, which is, I don't know, it's well over 2000 miles. It's, it's a crazy, crazy long trip and, uh, you know, bugs the entire way. Uh, the front of the van, like you could, you literally could not tell what color the van was on the front of it. Your headlights like, stopped working. There's so much and, bugs. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure they were really ineffective. Anyway, here in Washington, we have this weird thing where there's like, there's no bugs. Um, there's some this, this time of year, but they're like these tiny little ones. But anyway, there's like no bugs. Like I never have to wipe bugs off my car, which is, which is really strange. So we get out here and I went for an oil change and, and they literally like the, the guy that was like, you know, he had to like clean my windshield and he called like every employee over and he's like, look at this. And they're just like (laughs) staring at my bumper. They're like, how do you, how is this possible? They were, they were just mesmerized by the, the amount of bugs. I felt so bad. I I don't remember what I did. I think I pressure washed the front and then I went to a car wash, uh, just because it, there's no way like a car wash would have taken care of this. And they were still bugs on it, of course, even after all that. When I moved out here from from the East Coast, the the guy laughed at me because I had a, a jug of antifreeze in my trunk for the windshield wipers. <laughs> yeah, what's this for? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's for it's for when it gets cold. Uh, okay, so where can people find you? 
well, you know, they can they can hit me up on Twitter um, at Sean Henry. Um, okay. I don't, I don't tweet that much, but certainly I'll, I'll answer things and answer questions there. Um, and then if you want to, you know, learn more about Project Rome, um, we're kind of we're updating our kind of landing page right now. But if you go to aka.ms slash Project Rome, that'll get you to the right place. Okay. I am not following you, man. That, that you just have one tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I answer that tweets. Was- <laughs> that was, so, so really when you, when you said you weren't too active on there, that was, you weren't just saying that, like, it's true. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Folks, so can, we'll ha- folks we- can email me too directly at Microsoft. I think, uh, if you go to aka.ms, that'll get to my build uh, talk that has my email as well. Very cool. We'll have, we'll have a link to all of that in the show notes and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Sean, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this. I think this is such a cool foundational futuristic technology. So thank you so much. You're welcome.